Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel, and proud member of the Robots Radio Podcast Network. My name is Aramithius, and today I'm discussing a question that has consumed scholars in this world and in Mundus, one that gets down to the fundamental questions of being. Today we're asking, what is a soul in the Elder Scrolls universe? First of all, I just wanted to say thank you for two reviews I got recently. One from Cryptid Dave, who has dubbed this podcast a fantasy for the ears, and Def Cat, who writes that this is perfect if you want to delve more deeply into the lore behind the series. Thank you ever so much both. I'm really glad that you enjoy this podcast and appreciate the time you've taken to leave a review. I also wanted to say thank you to Toby for sending me a donation on Ko-fi. Thank you, Toby. I'm really glad that I can help you get into the awesome lore of this series just that little bit more. And if anyone else wants to drop me a quick tip, head over to ko-fi.com forward slash Aramithius. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Aramithius and drop a tip into the jar. And now onto the meat of the thing, or maybe the spirit, or something else. Anyway. On to souls. As usual, I want to point out that this is my own opinion of what a soul is in the Elder Scrolls, and I may have either missed something or maybe looking at things entirely the wrong way. I'd absolutely love to hear your ideas. Please feel free to drop me an email at writteninuncertaintypodcast at gmail.com with any questions or comments, or tweet me at Aramithius with whatever you think, or leave a comment wherever you're listening or join the Written in Uncertainty Discord server. Also, you can check the blog post for this cast at writteninuncertainty.com forward slash podcast forward slash souls. That post will also have all the references that I'm making linked, so you can go through and check the original text yourself and come to your own conclusions. So, what is a soul? At a basic level, in the Elder Scrolls at least, souls are the life force or life energy that fills living creatures. Energy is possibly the best word for how we encounter it in the games, as we get encouraged to engage in a form of soul magic by trapping souls in gems and then using them like batteries to power enchantments. That idea of souls as batteries has been used in various plot points and various turns within Tanriel's history, which I will also talk about it later. And if we see the souls as powerful, then they also have different levels of power. The soul gems that are used in most of the games, apart from The Elder Scrolls Online, I think, are of different sizes, from petty to lesser to common to great to grand. And these are some sort of crystallized stuff that gets formed at places called anima geodes that seem to respond to the souls held within them in some way. Uh, to quote from the book On Soul Shriven, The differing qualities of these gems are mostly academic, consisting of odd perturbances or scintillating colour patterns within the crystalline structure of the gem. However, one came across my table recently that was actively changing as I watched it over the course of several days. And while we can see that the gems are reacting to the souls within them, that doesn't really tell us much about the souls that are inside of them. However, as much as this says that gems can affect souls and souls can potentially affect gems, that doesn't really say a lot about what souls actually are. 
despite the name and the terminology that gets used in the Elder Scrolls, I don't think it's terribly clear. There seems to be a distinct soul energy, so to speak, that's different from what we would think of as a soul that's the seat of personal identity or spirit or character. This gets distinguished most explicitly in the Unhallowed Legends Loremasters Archive, which makes exactly that sort of distinction. It doesn't really help that soul and soul energy are mostly treated as the same thing in most places. I think that the clearest example that we have of all this is given in On Soul Shriven, to quote, in the confluence of events that followed Foolish Varen's bid for divine investiture, it seemed that all souls taken from that moment forward went not to the soul cairn, but to Molag Baal's own clutches. And thus the first of the soul shriven were formed in Cold Harbor, wretched creatures bereft of soul and accretion of oblivion matter in the form of an echo of what the creature was in life. Interrogation and vivisection followed the arrival of this first soul shriven. Between wild spasms of hysteria followed by deep states of ennui, the soul shriven expressed feelings of emptiness, hunger, and desire that no sustenance provided to them could fill. However, the soul shriven were not invulnerable. The eventual death of the soul shriven subject resulted in its complete annihilation, so utterly final that not even a trace of its essence could escape to Aetherius. I would later learn that this complete destruction had another unforeseen effect. A soul destroyed in such a manner empowered Molag Baal himself. This shows us that there is an energy in the sentience of a being which normally goes to the soul can in the event of being soul trapped by a black soul gem. This isn't the same type of soul energy that gets put into typical soul gems but seems to be another part of the soul altogether. Part of the deal with black soul gems is that you get more soul energy in the gem for sending this part of the soul, this bit that seems to have self-awareness, to the ideal masters, or in this case, Molag Baal. While you can render down that part of the soul into energy, it feels like a different type of thing than the pure energy that normally winds up in general soul gems. There is a text to back this up. The book Souls Black and White states that, quote, Centuries of experimentation has demonstrated that there are black souls and white souls. Only the rare black soul gem can hold the soul of a higher creature, such as a man or an elf. This seems to imply that there are different categories of soul that have different parts as a result, and the higher creatures have a large enough soul that can be split into two parts, the higher creatures having the bits that you send to the soul can and harvest for energy in the normal sense of the use of the thing. That would make sense, right? This mirrors a model of the soul that we see from Aristotle in our world. According to Aristotle, plants, animals, and humans all had different, almost cumulative types of soul. All three classes of life had a nutritive or vegetative soul that allowed the entity to grow and change, and to live, basically. Animals and humans then had a sensitive or sensible soul as well that gave them sense perception or the ability to perceive and react to things around them. And then at the top of the tree we have humans alone which have a rational or reasoning soul which enables them to think in the abstract about things that they've experienced. And it's possible, given that what we've seen so far, that the Elder Scrolls has a similar model of the soul, where the creatures that can be trapped in black soul gems have 
a reasoning part of the soul that gets sent to the soul can or cold harbor whoever you've cut the deal with and the nutritive or vegetative part gets used to power the actual gem uh, this does fit very very neatly but i think it may be in its current form a little too simple uh, the book Souls Black and White first appeared in the late third era as far as we know and we have a memo from Venus Galarian on soul trapping that was a little earlier that says that the black and white soul distinction is something that's artificial and created by the Mages Guild to quote from that memo. Therefore, I propose that the Mages Guild codify and systematise the various soul-trapping magics into a common grimoire of a few reliable spells, and then teach our members that these, and only these, are the legal and authorised methods for trapping souls. Furthermore, I propose that for the purpose of soul-trapping, we categorise all souls into two classes, the legal, or white, souls, those smaller essences that are captured from beasts and animals, and illegal or black souls which are derived from sentient mortals, and we'll teach only those spells that can capture white souls, forbidding our students to use the larger soul gems on sentience. This text states that the black-white soul distinction is pretty much invented out of whole cloth by the Mages Guild to categorise those souls that wouldn't be affected by the less powerful spells that would be taught, and that there isn't much difference beyond pure size. That suggests that there's some sort of emergent property about souls, maybe. That over a certain size they develop more features, but those features aren't really distinct parts of the whole. There are quite a few places where we get the idea that souls contain memories too, and maybe that's part of it. However, this doesn't really jive with a popular idea in the lore community that memories become water upon the death of a person. This is taken from one particular line of dialogue in ESO, where a character directly claims that the memories become water, and then that backs up some of the things that we see in the Anuad and Varieties of Faith, that before the Elnafay Wars, in which lots of people died, there was no rain or oceans. If that's the case, though, then we have questions about how ghosts retain their memories, and we also have the interesting case of the Argonians, which half backs it up and half doesn't. The Argonians believe that they return to the Hist when they die, and take their memories with them. This quote from the Infernal City sums it up pretty well, I think. Quote, it was generally believed that Argonians had been given their souls by the Hist, and when one died, one's soul returned to them to be incarnated once more. To him, that is to mere glim, that seemed reasonable enough, at least under ordinary circumstances. In the deeper parts of his dreams or profound thinking were images, scents, tastes, that the part of him that was sentient could not remember experiencing. There is potentially the metaphor of trees drinking water to help explain this, which is where I think that sort of thing matches with the Hist, but the distinct portion of the Argonian soul that returns to the Hist and gets recycled, maybe, is a little unclear. I think that it's possible that the Hist are essentially functioning as an independent collective of souls and are constantly pumping Argonian souls through the same circuits again and again, memories and all, which would then result in this sort of effect, although that possibly needs a bit of qualification, we'll get to that later. There's also a question about ancestor moths that we have uh, been a key part of the Elder Scrolls lore for quite a while. If memories disappear, then the way that they function doesn't seem to make sense. To quote from the book The Distributed Soul, 
The Fjorns themselves must retain a connection to the grand fabric of creation, to the scattered soul remnants in all their destinations. Through this link and with patient care, we received guidance from beyond the present or past and the known world, where time is irrelevant. The moths do not capture or devour the souls of the ancestors, but only repeat to us what they filtered, like a chorus repeating the verses of a grand song. The idea of wisdom of the ancients, so to speak, is a key thing with the ancestor moths, as well as the perspectives that they give, which I've already talked about a little bit in the episode of this podcast that is actually about the Elder Scrolls themselves. If the moths impart guidance to people, then they need to share lived experience, which is memory. Unless, of course, the wisdom gained by the moths is broadcast from outside creation, but I think that's a little unlikely. Then there's the Dream Sleeve, which we hear about very rarely, that several people in the fandom have taken to be the place where souls go when people die. Either in the process of getting there or on arrival, they seem to be stripped of memories and personality, becoming soul energy of a sort, and this is then probably given to new souls as they're born. Mankar Cameron talks about the dreaming sleeve of birth in the commentaries on the Mysterium Xarxes. The distributed soul possibly helps us here as well, to quote, Though it is typical to think of it as the Adric essence at the core of every mortal, I advised him to consider the soul in another light, scaled like the wings of the moth, and to imagine it comprised of vessels filled through the events of mortal existence. On release from life on Nern, it is our belief that a kind of dissipation begins, and it is then that the moths learn the song of the souls for Durans, which are shepherded under our care and protected generation after generation. That dissipation hints at the same sort of stripping away of memories that the dream sleeve is supposed to do. Perhaps if we retain the water metaphor, memories evaporate, so to speak, from the soul proper, which then rejoin the ocean of the dream sleeve. If the mortal form and memory is a vessel of water that is then poured into the ocean upon death. And if you do that, the original water from the vessel is mingled with the ocean, and you can't tell them apart anymore. That's perhaps how we get memories that can persist in ghosts that haven't fully evaporated yet, Memories becoming water, which is a representation of the dream sleeve, the ocean, and then some memories returning to others. Perhaps memories only form part of the soul, and which is why reincarnation and past lives aren't that big a thing in the Elder Scrolls. If we carry on the water metaphor, if the souls of the dead contain both memory and non-memory soul energy, then memories would only be a part of the overall soul. If the hist is recycling soul energy and memories over and over again, then the memories will be more concentrated. You'll get more parts per thousand of memory in Argonian soul matter than you will in other races, so to speak. Which would also explain why those that are gathered to the hist experience those fragmented memories more often. But for everyone else, they're just so much more dilute that you don't get people experiencing past memories that much. The Dream Sleeve is also mentioned in the Elder Scrolls legend Battlespire as a place where souls and spirits can be stored and withdrawn again as well as a means of communication, so perhaps the dissipation isn't quite so much of an automatic process. Fans tend to treat it like an email or Usenet type server in how things are broadcast. 
and that's certainly the way that it appears to be in the Numantia Intercept, which is an unlicensed text by Michael Kirkpride, which was the first place that we got information on the towers from. And so what does this kind of mystical email server have to do with souls as such? The way I read it is that if memories and souls are fragmented in the dream sleeve, you can encode the information of a message through references to the soul fragments. The fragmented nature of the souls essentially forms an encryption layer to the transmission. You can only read the message if you have the means to pull all the fragments of the soul back together and translate what they mean, which I assume is what the terminals that we see in Battlespire are doing. You're sending the message based on references to small portions of memory within the dream sleeve, which are then compiled and recompiled in the transmission sending. But are those memories the seat of your identity? I'm not totally sure. It's possible, but and it's the way we seem to think about identity at the moment. If you forget who you are, then are you really the same person anymore? That's a question that a lot of all sorts of media has grappled with and there's no real definite answer. I think it's possible in the Elder Scrolls that that's what's happening, but there is a model in the community that suggests something different and it centers on two letters, A and E. And what the devil is AE, I hear you all cry. That is, those of you who know your Elm effects probably know where I'm going with this. AE or I or R or however it's pronounced is the Elnifex word for is like Tamriel I Daedroth spoken by Mankar Cameron in the Elder Scrolls 4 or I am Iseti Ivek in Sermon 1 of the 36 lessons of Vivek. It may be doing double duty as and I've certainly seen some people do that and that makes that line a bit more normal but I prefer to think about it as is in that sentence because it emphasizes the trinitarian nature of the tribunal that little bit more but that's a whole sidetrack back to ae and souls ae the expression of is is i think possibly similar to the notion of ea in quenya as well as containing the same letters which strikes me as a bit of a clue the quenya ea is is in the sense of exists so it's not necessarily that this rug is red it's that that something is something is there something exists there that sort of thing the notion of ae may play on a similar double meaning we have some comments in the love letter from the fifth era that seem to hint at this to quote death results in reappropriation of spirit towards its aligned ae either to the god planet Adra or the principalities of oblivion. AE in this sense, spoken of earlier in the love letter, is what the void was originally split into, and it seems to be the base nature of a soul, so to speak, or the way in which a soul exists. There's also a note in the love letter that the amaranth exists, quote, beyond all AE, so beyond existence and the fundamental duality that makes up the Elder Scrolls universe. This seems to have an impact on the kind of energy that a soul has, if you take some of the other texts into account. If we look at Chaotic Creatia, the Azure Plasm, we see that Creatia is possibly a Newic or Padmaic in nature, and has a valence, which is an indicator of this, whatever that word may mean. It's 
might be like a radio frequency or something. I don't really know, it's not a word I've seen used that many other places. You'll also see fans talk about AE as the seat of identity, the fundamental I of a person. Change the AE and you change the person. There are indications, most notably Mankar Cameron, that you can alter your AE using some specific forms of magic. Mankar is supposed to have done it by a process of mimic surgery, mucking around with uh, Merun's razor. But despite its apparent connection to the afterlife and spirits in general, the AE, if it is the seat of identity and of a person, is not the source of a mortal's ability to use magic. We see Devaith fears Shadow gets separated from him in the Elder Scrolls Online, and he can't use magic after that, but he's still fundamentally the same person. So identity and AE and the spirit nature of AE isn't magical at its baseline which is a bit weird if you think about how Aetherius is supposedly the source of magic and where souls go on death. I'm not quite sure how to reconcile those two, but it's a connection that can be made, or a lack of a connection that, that can be made, more questions to be asked. And I think, though, it is potentially down to a link in the soul's animus, which is purely speculation on my part, but I realise I've introduced a new term out of entirely nowhere, so let's unpack Animus for a second. It gets mentioned in the text the Lunar Lorcan as the counterpart to Anima, and specifically a part of the Daedra in the book Spirit of the Daedra. In that book we have this quote, Destroy the body, and the Animus is cast into the darkness, but the Animus returns. In Chaotic Creatia, there's also an Anuic Animus mentioned, which equates Anuic Animus with the soul as a whole thing. If we take Spirit of the Daedra at its word, this feels a little like the Animus serves as the seat of identity for the Daedra. So if we go on that, are Animus and AE the same thing? I'm not sure. The Spirit of the Daedra seems to treat them as being the same thing, but remember that soul gems are taken from animus geodes. I don't think that they'd be associated with animus if soul gems that don't capture identity weren't used as part of that and dealing with the animus. I potentially suggest flipping the whole thing, that the AE is the more passive part of the soul if the AE is the animus. However, that does go against the idea that the souls of Daedra worshippers go to be with their lords, unless the whole stuff about aligned AE in the love letter is a passive thing that might be altered by the active part of the mind, something that happens subconsciously. That could work, but it feels like a little bit of a fudge to me. Um, it's also contrary to how most of the discussions on this topic seem to go. If I've missed something with regards to AE, then please do let me know. There's an awful lot of speculation about this and not an awful lot of text I could find. So please either ping me a message on the Written Uncertainty Discord or by email if you've got some more information on this. I would absolutely love to know. And although they're not the only things that can apparently alter a soul's destination, we also have several examples of ways to influence where a soul goes beyond the AE, if we're taking the love letter as its word there. 
for example we have the idea that all werewolves go to Hercene whether they want to or not and the Dark Brotherhood claims that all of the souls of the people they kill go to Sithis. However, if we speak about this a bit more generally, we have this quote from the interpreted soul Lawmaster's archive. Quote, it is the mortals themselves who decide the destination of their souls by the choices they make during life. However, that said, there have been reports that worm cult necromancers have devised a way of hijacking the souls of mortals sacrificed in a certain Daedric ritual. This indicates that the souls would naturally go to their aligned AE, their natural own place, unless there's something else acting on it. I'm not quite sure what that is. The interpreted soul talks about a ritual, but if you take the idea that the Dark Brotherhood kill people and send people to Sithis, then it's not necessarily a form of magic being used on the soul itself. Unless maybe the Black Sacrament is a ritual that aligns the soul a particular way when you ask for them to die in the first place. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure. Uh, we also have the Rites of RK which are supposed to stop a soul from being used against its will following death. Whether that's against its will during life, or the will of the spirit in whatever state it currently exists, so it can potentially change its mind after death, I'm not sure. But that does imply that there's some way to pull the personhood back from wherever it's gone after death, and it can then be used to power things, which is what necromancers do. So again, we're back at the person-energy split that we began this cast with, and some evidence against the idea that the soul is scattered upon death. Unless we assume that there is a separation between memory and non-memory, with most memory-based identity going with the aligned AE, and some other bits going along with the soul energy into the dream sleeve, which is then kind of skimmed out and used by necromancers, that feels as close as I can get to an answer, but it doesn't feel quite right. Particularly if you think about how Dunma see the afterlife as a continuation with the identity not really changing at all. The cynic in me is saying that all of these different interpretations are there because there's several different hands on the world design of the Elder Scrolls which have pulled the notion of what a soul is in various different ways. Like the things themselves, the idea has been mucked around with and expressed in various ways to best suit the plot of the games, which leaves us with a fantastically intriguing bundle of mess to try and untangle. Souls are things which don't really fit into any particular space, and so we're left with a ton of questions. You've probably seen me say, I don't really know, or probably, or this feels like some sort of a bodge job to fit it in, for this cast more than anything else. And so, on that whole, nature of uncertainty, I think I'm going to have to leave it there. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on this look through what souls are in the Elder Scrolls, and I am sorry that this has taken longer than usual to work on, but there's been a ton of material to go through, and I wanted to try and do it justice. I've barely touched on Dunma attitudes to all this, or how the notion of subgradients plays a part in souls, but I wanted to make a start on this whole thing and get this podcast out. Um, I'll have to come back and tie up a few loose ends here and there, and we'll have to see what happens with that particular podcast and see where it goes.
In the meantime, I do hope you've enjoyed my rather patchworky picture of how souls work in the Elder Scrolls. I've had to cram a fair bit in here, and although I've tried to focus on some consistent things, I haven't covered everything in my notes. If you want to see my full notes and all the ideas that didn't make the cut, you can become my patron at patreon.com forward slash written in uncertainty, or if you just want to give me a quick tip, head over to ko-fi.com forward slash aramithius and drop a tip in the jar. And I'd also recommend checking out some of the other Robots Radio Network podcasts. We're now up to somewhere near 20 shows, and they cover a whole range of different topics. There's something for everyone. Uh, the links to the network's homepage will be in the show notes for this podcast. And the latest thing that we've got in the lineup is The Podcasting Professor, a show that Robots and the rest of us are occasionally contributing to um, in a rather roundabout way, mostly talking about the podcasting lessons that we've learned and things that we picked up running our own shows and helping other people apply those to their own podcasts. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast or you have one and want to have a few more ideas from a few more voices, check that out. And that's it for this week. In the meantime, you can try catching me at twitch.tv forward slash Aramithius, where I'm playing through Morrowind and discussing pretty much anything lore-wise I can find during the game. Next time on this podcast, I'll be looking at another Elder Scrolls text, uh, starting on a multi-part investigation into the truth in sequence. Until then, this podcast remains a letter written in uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and presented by Aramithius. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glimbotsky and Jeremy Saul. Check out Jan's work at SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and Jeremy's Northerner Diaries is available for purchase and on YouTube. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Hello. Hi. Do you like bad movies? Do you find yourself defending bad movies, saying things like, well, the soundtrack was okay, or the costumes were pretty fun? From the previous hosts of It's Not That Bad podcast, we bring you Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast, from Simone LaRue and Chad Ekovitz. Every week, we review two movies that did not do well critically, but we say, hey, there are some nice things about them. Maybe Rotten Tomatoes was wrong. Maybe they're all fools, and you should watch these movies regardless. We'll also talk about scenes that could have saved it, and we'll often refer to Simone's cats because they're amazing and adorable and we love them <laughs> and at the end of each review we will tell you whether we would watch this movie again or in what circumstances we would recommend you watch this movie so join us on july 9th for the first drop of our main episode and then two days later for our drop of our minisodes and on robots radio podcast network come see us on july 9th we love you so much already bye, bye. i'm bob and i'm brad we're lifelong friends and the hosts of the film and whiskey podcast this is the show where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. That's right. Every week we go in-depth on a well-known movie while sampling the best from the world of scotch, bourbon, and more. Because nothing goes better with strong opinion than equally strong liquor. Bob's a movie nerd. Brad's an average Joe. But together, we give fresh insights and hot takes on the world of movies and spirits. So check out the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Part of the Robots Radio Network. Hey friends, this is Robots, the creator of the Robots Radio Podcast Network and host of the two original shows on the network, the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. These two shows have rocketed up the iTunes charts. They both together have over 155 star reviews in only a couple of months with bite-sized episodes that take you step-by-step -step through the background of the games and the game worlds. They're thought-provoking, well-produced, and a lot of fun. 
I recommend you go check them out at robotsradio.net or on any podcast, reader, podcatcher, whatever you use, iTunes, Spotify. Again, that's the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, available everywhere. <laughs>